everybody. Happy Sun. Everybody looks good. Everybody feels rested. Right. Isn't it nice that we had a message? Oh, somebody got rest. Um, isn't it nice that we heard a message on rest and on Sabbath right before we had, you know, this kind of weekend? So hopefully, uh, whatever your weekend looked like, you feel a bit rested sometimes, especially the pace, uh, of Korea and Seoul. It's a bit like insane. And so having a moment to kind of just take a deep breath and remember God's faithfulness, his goodness, and just even physically get to rest. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that does a lot for you as well. Um, so today we are going to continue our sermon series on spiritual disciplines. This year we're starting, we're kicking off the year talking about these different disciplines uh, that help us build our relationship with God. We have to start with the idea that None of these things are going to win our acceptance towards God. If that becomes very clear, then these spiritual disciplines can be life-giving. They can actually breathe fresh life into your spiritual journey. But if there isn't an understanding that the gospel is sufficient to reconcile us to the Father, then these spiritual disciplines actually can become a burden. Like you feel condemned and man, this morning I forgot to read my Bible. The Lord must hate me right now. That's your, your conclusion. If you don't, if you don't remember to keep the gospel central in your pursuit of these spiritual disciplines. So today I'm going to start with a story. Some of you might've heard it. It's kind of a popular story. This is how the story goes. A man is stuck in a flood and turns to God. As the flood waters rose, a man was on a porch of his house and he prayed that God would save him from drowning in the flood. And just then, another man came by in a rowboat. The man in the boat invited the other man to get in and he'd save him. And the man on the porch said, no, thanks. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. So the water kept rising and the man had to go to the second floor of his house. And as he looked out the window, he saw a man in a motorboat come by. And the man in the motorboat invited him to get in because he had come to rescue him. And the man in the house said, no, thanks. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And the waters kept on rising. Soon, the man was forced to climb up onto his roof. That's his roof. A helicopter flew by and a man inside lowered a rope and shouted down for the stranded man to climb up the rope. But the man still wouldn't get in. He just said, no, thanks. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. Well, eventually the floodwaters rose above, above the house rooftop and the man drowned. When he got to heaven, he asked God why he didn't rescue him from drowning when he had had perfect faith. And this is what God says. What more do you want from me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> anyway, so today, uh, in continuing with our, uh, our spiritual disciplines, uh, sermon series. So the first week we had an introduction where we talked about how these spiritual burdens, when you think about disciplines, uh, you, you automatically equate it to burden. Like, it's not like, yay, we're going to talk about disciplines today. I'm so excited to start at the year with disciplines. Usually there's like an inward groan. You're like, ah. You're going to guilt us into reading the Bible. You're going to guilt us into praying. You're going to, you know, and that's the way we tend to approach it. Sometimes it's because of our upbringing. 
Um, but so one more time, I need to reinforce that we aren't earning our acceptance through these disciplines, but because we are accepted, because we are embraced by the father through what Jesus alone has done for us, we are now invited into partnership. We are now invited into greater knowledge of him, greater intimacy, greater fullness. And this applies to every spiritual discipline. So in fact, you should see the gospel reflected in every spiritual discipline that you pursue. So that's what we talked about the first week. Then the second week, we had John Michael teaching us about reading the word. You guys remember the five fingers and how your grasp on the word is not just through reading, but sometimes memorizing, sometimes listening, sometimes underlining and, and, and all these different ways in which you can engage with the word. And so that was reading the word. Last week, we had Pastor JP preach on rest and Sabbath. And ultimately, especially for our generation, that is going 100 miles an hour every day, 24-7, even on Sundays, where you feel this restlessness the moment that there is an awkward silence. Awkward silence, right? You start feeling like, uh, okay, okay, say something, right? Whenever there's just a moment of respite, a moment of silence, you feel the urge to, okay, I need to, have you ever been waiting for a friend like who's, who's late to an appointment and you haven't had your phone on you or like your phone is dead? It is the most awkward thing ever. Like it's even like, even if it's just five minutes, you don't know what to do with yourself anymore, right? Because you're used to, they're late. Okay, I'm going to catch up on, you know, some reading, some emails, some Facebook, some Instagram. And we're so used to filling up every empty space, every silent space with distractions. And so Pastor JP's point last week was we need to build into our schedules, our weekly rhythm, this discipline of stopping, of resting, of savoring our relationship with the Lord, of learning to be silent and listen of learning to unplug, disconnect in order to connect with the Lord. And so I'm hoping that this past week you were able to put it into practice already. And so for today, we're going to be approaching the spiritual discipline of intercession. Now, a more accurate way to say this is actually intercessory prayer because intercession in itself, it's a much broader term. It means mediating. It means meeting with someone on behalf of someone else. So when we talk about intercession today, we'll mostly be talking about just intercessory prayer. And today we'll only talk about some, um, some broad strokes, what intercession is. And throughout our essentials classes that we are starting this Saturday, we're actually going to do a bit more of the practical outworkings of it. You're going to get some tools. You're going to get some more teaching, some activation starting this Saturday um, to make you feel equipped and ready to practice, ready to pray for other people. Sometimes we just need a gentle push. Sometimes we just need some guidelines, something to get us started. And so that's the aim for our Saturday classes. So if you're free on Saturday mornings, 10 a.m., is not that early. It sounds kind of early for a Saturday morning. It's not that early. It's double digits. As long as it's double digits, it is late. It is late. So come out from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. All right. So we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of intercession. What does intercession mean? 
There's a lot about actually intercession that we can dissect and scrutinize. We can clinically just go in there and be like, break it apart and put it into different points and different steps. And we can talk about all of that. But at the end of the day, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler alert for you. There's a whole lot of things that will continue to remain a mystery. So if you thought that today's 30-minute sermon, 40-minute sermon would clear up all the doubts you've ever had about intercession, I am sorry to disappoint you. That's not going to happen. There is an aspect of intercessory prayer that will always remain in mystery. And there's a kind of beauty about that. There's an interaction and a trust and a faith that it will require for us to engage in uh in intercessory prayer. So we're going to open up our Bibles together. I actually don't have all the slides for us today. So uh, we're going to open up our Bibles together to Hebrew four, Hebrews 4. So Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews 4. It's the end of the New Testament. Right after Titus and Philemon, if you've gotten to James, you've gone too far. So Hebrews is a slim book towards the end of the New Testament. And so I want us to just, with our eyes, just look through Hebrews chapter 4. It's really interesting because I was meditating on this chapter this past week, and I realized that it ties in everything that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So it starts out, I'm just going to be reading from the NIV. It starts out saying, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, so that's the idea of rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So it's, it's um, linking the idea of rest, entering into rest, with the idea of hearing the gospel and believing in the gospel. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken on the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and some who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. So disobedience is keeping them from God's rest. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So we just talked about the rest that we find in God in obeying and believing his gospel. And then verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom 
to whom we must give account. So that's talking about the enduring power of the word of God and his promise. And then it goes into something that sounds pretty unrelated. Verse 14 reads, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So there's a lot that just happened in this one chapter, and there's different themes that go all throughout it, but the basic gist of it is faith and obedience leads us to rest. There's an eventual and everlasting rest that we will enter into in the future. This is everlasting rest. God's word is powerful. His promise is enduring. And then it talks about intercession. We have access to God, the father through Jesus, our high priest, and there's help and mercy made available to us, but it requires us approaching him. So let me focus on the last three verses that we just read. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These three verses seem kind of unrelated. They seem kind of unrelated, but let me paint a picture. This is, yes, so this is Jesus right here. And this is us. I don't know if you can see it all the way down here. And so it is saying that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It means Jesus didn't just remain up here. He came all the way down here and he knows our human frame. He knows the fallenness of the world. Have you ever tried to share an experience that is very difficult? Something that you're wrestling with, with somebody who cannot relate to you in any way, shape or form. It is the most infuriating thing ever, right? It is like, you don't understand. Look, let me repeat myself again. This is very hard because this is what I did. And then this is what they said. And I've been trying with all my might. And they're like, okay. Okay. I can see how that would be frustrating. You're like, no, you don't understand. You know, there's something so infuriating about trying to make somebody understand what you're going through. If they themselves are so far removed from your reality, so far removed from your experience that there's no connection point. But this passage is saying Jesus Christ is not like that. Jesus Christ wasn't just up in the heavens and was like, Hey, look, I know it's really hard down there, but good luck with that. I'll, you know, I'll help in whatever way I can. Um, It sucks. You live in a fallen world, but hopefully you'll be restored one day once you die after eight years of a terrible life. This is not what Jesus did. He himself crossed the heavens. He came down. He dwelt among us. The living word of God 
came and dwelt among us. He set foot on this planet, on this soil, on this land, and he lived a life here on this earth. He was tempted in every way, yet remained without sin. So this makes us unable to ever tell God, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. God, you have no idea how hard this is. Jesus is like, actually, actually, what you're going through Um, I can actually relate to that as well. I've gone through betrayal. I've gone through pain. I've gone through fatigue. I've gone through stress. I've gone through, you know, family stuff. I've gone through all of that. And yet he remains without sin. So we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And the last verse talks about something really amazing. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you guys, but on a daily basis, I need grace and I need mercy. I have a lot of needs. I have a lot of needs. When it comes to my relationship with God, I gain nothing by saying like, look, God, I got this. Don't worry about me. I, I got, I'm going to handle this. I've got everything I need. I don't, I can't try to be a hero when it comes to my relationship with God. It's very obvious that I need him every day. I need him. If he wasn't in my life, I would be an even greater mess, but I need to know that God is available for me each and every day. Then there is an ordained allotted mercy and grace for me through Christ Jesus. And so we are given confidence just as Jesus rose up and now sits at the right hand of our, uh, of God, the father almighty. In the same way, we are invited up to approach the throne of grace and not just in any way, but with what's the word confidence. That was very not confident, the way that you just said that. With confidence. In Greek, it's parousias. Can everybody say parousias? Okay, now you know Greek. So that means boldness, with freedom, with all openness, unhindered. This is the same Greek word that is used in Acts 4.29. After Peter and John, they've been imprisoned, then they're released. And instead of saying like, okay, now we're going to lay low for a bit. We shouldn't preach this Jesus Christ because he keeps getting us in trouble. No, they actually rise up and they say, now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great parousias, with great boldness. This is them saying, I'm not backing down, not no matter what kind of threats, what kind of persecution comes my way, no, what, no matter what kind of hardships come my way. Nobody's going to give me a pat in the back. No one's going to congratulate me for being so bold in preaching the gospel. I'm actually going to be imprisoned again. I'm going to be uh, accused and arrested again. And yet I want greater boldness, greater parousias. In preaching the gospel. It's the same word that Apostle Paul also used in Acts 28 when it describes him as saying he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance with parousias. It's that kind of it's for us living in this context. It's actually a little hard for us to even imagine what that looks like. It's almost borderline irreverent like rude 
Like, have you ever met someone with zero nunchi, like zero radar of what is socially acceptable, you know? Have you ever met anyone like that? And you're like, dude, you're not supposed to say things like that. You're like, dude, you're supposed to politely decline. You can't just say, you know? And have you seen people that are so direct and so straightforward and they have zero radar for what is socially acceptable in a given situation? I see some people nudging you. <laughs> I'm not going to look at y'all, but yes. Yeah, that's you. Um, it's borderline that. It's almost like without nunchi, without, without like realizing, okay, who am I to approach his throne? Like who ha- have I gained that access? Have I earned that trust? Have I gained that? Like, am I able to do that without that? The Bible is saying you approach the throne of grace with all parasites, with all confidence, not because you've earned it, but because you have a high priest who has gone before you and who now sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty. It means imagine, uh, uh, for, for those people who grew up in the church and never went to a club. Imagine this very theoretical. Imagine you're going to a club, right? Imagine you're going to a club and you have a VIP friend, like a friend who everybody knows, like, yeah, like if I go with them, I have full access to any club I want. And so like they go in, like if they weren't there with you, you'd be like, ah, sorry, is there any space? Can I get in? You know, but if it's, if you go with this friend, you're like, yeah, (laughs) just walk in with an attitude. Like, yeah, I'm with them. I'm with them. Like, you better reckon, you know? And so it's that same kind of posture that you're called to what? Maybe not, not, you better reckon. Don't do that to God. Maybe not that. But with that kind of almost like confidence and almost like irreverence, almost that approach the throne of grace. Like you belong there. Like you belong there. Like someone won you a spot there. And that's the kind of confidence that we are called to approach the throne of grace with confidence, parousias. And so as we think about what it means to intercede, what it means to pray before the Lord with confidence, we have to fight different things that are very much inbuilt into our system. Perhaps the way that we relate to other people, the the way that we um, were brought up, the way that we relate with our parents. Sometimes there, um, there are mirrors, things that are reflected in your relationship with people or even with family in the way that you approach God. But there's certain things that we have to fight. And this is a bit more on the practical side. Have you ever asked yourself, what's the point in me praying? Right? Isn't God sovereign anyway? Like, does it mean that if I don't pray, like, things aren't going to happen? Like, the universe is going to hold still? Like, like what's, the, what's the point anyway? We have to fight the sense of futility, like there's no use in me doing this, but also fatalism. Sometimes our understanding of God's sovereignty, it looks something more like fatalism. Fatalism meaning like, uh, like it's all predestined. It's all just like out of my hands. And no matter what I do, I can't change the course of anything. And so just let him do what he does. Just let him be God and I'll just cheer on from the sidelines and I don't really have a part to play. But the Bible doesn't look at God's sovereignty in that way. The Bible says that God has sovereignly ordained partnership with mankind. 
He has sovereignly ordained partnership with mankind. I don't know why, because I think it would be a lot more simple if God were to say, look, you just sit there. You sit there and watch me do everything. You sit there and I will make everything happen. And yet, no, God, he sovereignly ordained. So he says he has predestined you and me to partake in the unfolding of history through our prayers and through our partnership. That is part of God's sovereign plan. He doesn't just want robots who obey. Yes, sir. You know, and just, I'm trying, I'm going to try to live the rest of my life without sinning. And, um, I'm going to call that a successful life. And I'm just going to try not to ruffle any feathers and just do the best I can. No, God's actually calling you away from living on the defensive and actually working in the offensive in advancing the kingdom of God. And that is his sovereign plan for you. And for me, it would be a lot easier again, if the moment that we accepted Jesus, we're like, whoop, just taken up to heaven. Then you don't have to worry about anything else. But yet God, in his sovereign grace, and in some mysterious way, he saves you and I. He brings us into a relationship. And now he says, now ask of me. You have full access to me. Ask of me. There's so much I want to give to you. There's so much that I want to give to your workplace. There's so much that I want to bring into your family. Ask me. You have access now. You don't live far off and cut away from me now. You have full access through Jesus. Now, what do you want? And that is the beauty of relationship. That is the beauty of partnership with God. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31, it says, God says, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. It means God has had this thought. I don't want to bring destruction, bring destruction on these people, but I need someone to partner with me for that. I need somebody to come to me and ask me for mercy. I need someone to pray out mercy, salvation, uh, preservation. There is great mystery in that. There's great mystery in the realm of intercession. And yet we cannot justify our lack of prayer because of our lack of understanding. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we can talk about the logistics and like the, okay, so it doesn't matter. So what if I don't? So what does it mean that the, the will of God is trumped somehow? And we can talk about that all day and yet like stay away from prayer, from actually praying and not see anything in our lives. But the word of God says there's a promise, ask and you'll receive, knock and the door will be opened. Those who seek will find. There's a promise there. And we're like, well, let me work through the logistics of the promise so that I know that my efforts are not in vain. He's like, no, just, okay, stop that. There's a, there's a moment to think through those things. But the point is, okay, okay, work through that, but ask me. Work through that, but relate with me. Talk to me. Ask of me. And this is God's invitation to fallen mankind. Don't let the mystery of God's ways keep you from praying. The more I read in the Bible, the more I see the humanity of men and of women of God. They're broken. They're fallen. They're imperfect. They're repeatedly idolatrous. Just when you think, okay, the Israelites, they finally learned their lesson. They're not going to turn. And they turn. Like it only takes a few lines down that passage. You say, okay, they turned again against the Lord. 
They're repeatedly idolatrous, selfish, murderous, self-interested, self-protecting. But God loves to partner with them. And it's not just them, it's us as well. So when we come to the place of prayer and intercession, we need to fight the sense of futility and fatalism. That's not the way that God describes his world and his people. And that's not the way that we should engage in prayer. It's going to be a fight because everything in you will be like, oh, I prayed this yesterday. Ah, will it make a difference if I prayed today? You know, everything in you will be like, ah, is there any difference? Does it matter if I show up today? Does it not? We're always going to have to fight futility and fatalism. Second, I'm trying to keep all of this as alliterations F so you guys remember more easily. So fight frustration and fatigue. God wants partnership. He wants partnership. Yes. But anyone who is engaged in long-term prayer for anything has sooner or later realized that God wants partnership and yet he cannot be manipulated or controlled. There's certain things that are just in his hands. There's certain things that he's not going to owe you an explanation for. You're like, well, I prayed. Why isn't this person getting healed? And you're not going to get an answer. And that's God's prerogative. You can't be like, well, maybe if I, you know, you're going to try to make theological assumptions because of that. There's going to be certain things that will remain in a place of mystery. And that is because God is God and he's not controllable. He's not manipulable, but he does want partnership. What is in your control, however, is whether you choose to show up or not. That is in your control. So show up, tell him. I'm frustrated. How long have I been praying for this? Show up and tell him that. Ask him what's taking so long. Wrestle it out with him, but don't back down because you feel frustrated. Don't back down just because you feel frustrated. He's going to answer in ways perhaps that we don't understand. Perhaps the answer might actually be a no, right? The answer might be a no as well. Who knows? But it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't mean that you shouldn't show up and ask anyway. So one thing that concerns me about myself and perhaps our generation as well is that we do anything in our power to minimize discomfort. Like we go out of our way to minimize discomfort. We have overnight delivery to our doorstep, instantly streaming, streaming TV. Do you guys remember we had to wait for a certain time to turn on the TV? And then every 15 minutes there'll be like an annoying commercial. Yeah. So we don't even have that anymore. Now it's like, let me see what's streaming on demand. Like I want to watch this now and it's going to happen now on demand, instantly streaming TV shows, every kind of electronic payment sent through your phone instantly. Uh, just everything is catered for our comfort. And the church is actually no different in this generation. There's a buffet spread of every kind of church that you, that could suit your demographic, your political bent, your life stage, your preferred location, your most convenient hour, your style of worship, your preferred type of teaching or preaching. There is a buffet spread in so many ways that, uh, that reflect that that, um, trend is actually not just out in the world, but also in the church. In many ways, we are becoming impatient and intolerant of anything that requires effort. We want things to be effortless. We want things to mold themselves to us. Mold yourself to my schedule. Mold yourself to my preferences. And that is the way that our generation is slowly progressing more and more. 
It is the path of least resistance. And it shows up very quickly in the place of prayer and relationship with God. That's where we come frustrated when after five minutes of praying, you're like, look, I'm not getting anything. You were supposed to show up, you know, like the moment I said something like you're supposed to show up five minutes ago. What's taking so long? And it's only been five minutes, you know, when you read in the Bible and they're like, and he prayed for 40 days. You're like, I have no idea what that would look like. And he waited for 20 years for the fulfillment. You're like, what? 20 years. We have no Like we have no framework for that anymore. So we want things fast and we want them now. And if God's not giving that to us, we're going to look elsewhere for it. And so this affects the place of prayer. We don't know how to be, okay, sit in that frustration, sit in that tension. God's not answered yet. God, I'm still going to show up. I still believe that this is your word for me. I still believe that this is what you want for my family. I want to still show up. I want to fight against that sense of frustration and fatigue. We want to fight against that. And lastly, we have to fight the fear of failure. What if I pray for something and God doesn't answer? Have you ever asked God that? Are you setting me up for disappointment, God? Right? What if you pray for someone and God doesn't answer? Look, there's many theological answers to this. But long story short... It's not about you. Amen, right? Can everybody repeat after me? It's not about me. All right. One more time. It's not about me. It's not about how powerful of a prayer warrior you are. It's not about whether every prayer that you pray gets answered or not. It's about showing up. It's about asking God repeatedly. There cannot be so much fear a failure in us that will keep us from asking. What if I ask and, and he says no. And, and what does that mean about me and my relationship with God? What does that mean about my maturity and my spiritual standing? You cannot go down that route. Prayer is going to be a journey that is infinitely humbling because God will remind you over and over again that you are man, you are woman, and he is God, right? It's infinitely humbling, but that fear of failure can't keep you from praying. A quick anecdote from me, like way, way, way back, maybe like 10 years ago, I was still, you know, in New Philly and I was just learning about, uh, praying for sickness, praying for, uh, physical ailments. And I was like, how does that work? Like, is it like a, a magical, like, like a hocus pocus kind of thing. Like if you say in the name of Jesus, that's going to happen. Or like, how does it work? Can you teach me the magical formula so I can do this? And then every time someone will get healed. And obviously it doesn't work that way, right? If there was a way that'd be awesome, but that's not the way it works. Can you imagine how messed up your brain would be if everything you asked for got answered instantly? Right? Wouldn't that do something to you? Wouldn't you get kind of weird? Like you begin to think that you're, you're God somehow, right? So anyway, that's the sidetrack. Okay. So I was learning, um, what it meant to actually contend for physical healing. And I was like, I don't really know. Does this work? Is this chance? Like, does it only work for like, is my faith like only able to like, uh, heal like my prayers of healing only heal like headaches and down. 
You know, like headaches and under. Nothing more severe than headaches. You know, like if it's back pain, like if it's cancer, if like I, I can't help you there. But, but anything under, that's that's my level of it. That's, you know, like there's all these different questions that you ask yourself. And I was very new to, to, to praying for physical healing. I remember this one time after a prayer meeting, um, just a few of us from New Philly, we were going back home on a train. And um, the train was super packed, and I was standing um, in front of an empty seat, and a friend of mine just sat down in there. And we were just, like, chatting and all of that. And then the friend who sat down, she said, oh, like, I, I have, like, a really, really bad toothache. I don't know why it started, like, 30 minutes ago, but, like, it, it's giving me a headache. It's, like, really, really severe. And I was, like, standing there holding the little thing. I was like, okay, sorry about that, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, should I be praying for them? Like, uh, what if I pray and what if nothing happens? And like, it's kind of public and like, you don't hear me. And like, uh, I'm like with my, um, with my discipleship, um, you know, my, my disciples. And I'm like, what if it doesn't work in front of them? It's kind of embarrassing. And, you know, like I'm going through all these things in my mind. And then I came to, you know, an agreement with God. I was like, okay, God, it's like really packed in here. But if the seat right next to her opens up, then I'm going to sit there and I'm going to pray for them, okay? And I kid you not, like 20 seconds later, the person right next to her stood up. And so I was like, I sat down. I was like, ah, ah. What about the other, the other side? No, no, I, I, you know, I wasn't going to ask for more confirmation. I was like, okay, I'm just going to take this as confirmation. I'm just going to pray for them. I was like, hey, they turned to them. And I was like, hey, can I pray for you? They're like, oh, yeah. And then I, I, you know, I touched their face, like right here where it was hurting. And I prayed a really brief prayer. And then like, after I finished, as soon as I said it said, amen, I was like, amen. I was too scared to ask if anything had happened, you know, like, I was like, and then like maybe another 10 minutes passed by. Uh, and I was just too afraid to ask. And then, uh, finally after 10 minutes of being like, see God, nothing happened. You embarrassed me. You know? And then I turned to them and I was like, Hey, is, is your toothache, uh, feeling any better? And then she was like, Oh yeah. The moment you touched me, it left. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, but the funny thing is that, um, while I was standing in front of her and asking for all these confirmations, um, I felt this sensation doesn't always happen. It's very rare. Okay. Uh, but I felt like I was holding the, the railing with my left hand and I had my, my right hand just like swing by my side and I could feel my hand getting really hot, like really, really hot. And I was like, that's a coincidence. It's blood flow. This is up. This is, you know, like I'm trying to justify it in every possible way. And as I'm trying to negotiate with the Lord, he's, he, he tells me, like, I want to give her healing, but I didn't place it on her. I placed it in your hand. What are you going to do about it? And, and so I'm like, ah, ah, risk embarrassment, risk, ah, you know, and the whole point of it was, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about whether I pray powerful prayers, whether I can heal that, you know, it wasn't about that. It was God wanting to bless somebody and putting that, uh, partnership burden on me. He wanted me to partake in that blessing. And instead of giving it straight to her, which would have been so much easier and so much faster, of course, uh, because it took like a good 30 minutes for me to get there, right? Um, it would have been so much faster, so much easier. And yet God, in some mysterious, sovereign way, he said, instead of giving her the, the, the healing, I'm going to give it, put it in your hand. And it's, it's not about you. You have something in your hand now that you're called to bless somebody else with. Are you going to keep it to yourself? Are you going to 
keep watching, standing in front of her, watching her like cringe in pain because her, her tooth hurts? Or are you going to put yourself out there and pray and just have faith that God can do it? If he wants to do it, he'll do it. But just put yourself out there and just pray for her. And so for me, that was a whole internal dialogue that I needed to go through the Lord. And it all boils down to fear of failure. It all boils down to, I don't want to fail, especially publicly. <laughs> like, I don't want to put myself out there. What if he doesn't answer? And it was just the fear of failure. God answers prayer. Perhaps not 100% of the time in exactly the way that you're asking. And yet he still answers prayer. He answers prayer. It is true of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaiah, of Hezekiah. It's true of you and of me as well. There's no way you're going to find out if God answers prayer or not unless you pray. There's no way you're ever going to find out if God answers prayer for healing, prayer for restoration of relationships, prayer for salvation of family, prayer for revival in a nation. You're never going to know that unless you pray. And so we have to fight the fear of failure. We have to fight the fear of failure. God wants to bless. God wants to restore. It's in his heart to do this. I cannot, I cannot keep this to myself. If I've been given full access to the throne of grace and there is a great need for grace and mercy, then you get in there. You get in there because it's not about you. It's not about you. There's people around you. There's people around you that need that in their lives. They need restoration. They need healing. They need encouragement. In the worst of cases, you're going to pray for them. And at the very least, they're not going to feel alone in their prayer. At the very least, even if it doesn't get answered. At the very least, they're going to know that someone else is fighting for them. Someone else is believing for them. Someone else is encouraging them in their journey as well. So fight the fear of failure. So three quick, three quick points for us to kind of wrap things up today. Prayer is powerful and it is needed. Prayer is powerful and it is needed. It is the one thing that is given to us that can actually change the course of history can change the course of your family can change the course of a nation and a generation. It is a gift that is given to us. It is powerful and it is needed to illustrate this point. I have a Starbucks card here. It only has 10 bucks. I'm not made of money. Okay. Only 10 bucks, but I'm going to give it to Celine. How about Celine? I'm just going to give it to Celine. Um, don't be angry. It's just 10 bucks. Okay. So don't, don't think there's a whole lot in there. So I want you to hold it up. Imagine she keeps it in her pocket forever. She's like, yes, I got the Starbucks card. It's so great. It's so amazing. And she actually never goes to a Starbucks to cash it in. What does that make that gift? It makes it a piece of plastic. That's all it is, really. There are funds that are backing that up. But unless she goes to a Starbucks and cashes it in, it is useless. It is the same thing with prayer. We're be, we've been giving this gift, and yet if we never go into the throne of grace and pray and intercede, it's like holding that Starbucks card in our pocket and being like, I'm so glad I have this gift. Wow, I feel so special. Yay. She picked me out of every... Yeah, I feel so great. And it does her no good. It does her no good. It's just a piece of plastic. And the same thing is with prayer. You can carry that around and never cash it in. And you're never going to see anything happening in your life. But when you've been given it, you just go and 
and cash it in. It's the same thing with prayer. Go into the place of prayer. Use that access that you have to the throne of grace. And you're going to see God moving in your life. Second thing, prayer requires encounter. So you can't ask God for stuff like where you're refusing to look at him and and like acknowledge him. And he's like somewhere out there and just in theory, I'm going to ask for something from God. No, like it actually requires you to speak to God, to meet with him. Intercession will create a meeting space between you and God. It is a conversation. I wish I could get really deep into this, but I won't get to today. Come out to Essentials Prayer Meeting. We're going to, I mean, prayer um, workshop. We're going to be talking about all these different things. But it requires an encounter. So I have a second Starbucks card. Uh, not yo, I see you too much. How about uh, somebody? I don't think I've met you guys before, so. Welcome to our church. We give, we give out Starbucks cards all the time. This is what we do every week. You know, we're just flowing in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. So this, there's one condition for that card, though. And that condition is you're going to go to Starbucks and you're going to meet with the Lord. So you use those 10 bucks, whichever way you want. You know, it can get you two cups of coffee or some pastries or whatever. But just meet with the Lord. My, my point is I want to create uh, an, a meeting space for you and the Lord. So you just go put your headphones or whatever you need to kind of just zone in and just meet with the Lord and have a conversation with him. Ask him, Lord, what's on your heart? What do you want for me? What do you want for my life? How do you feel about me? How do you feel about the way things are going in my life? What do you want me to pray for, for my family, for my workplace, about my transitions, like all these things that y- you need to have a conversation with the Lord and opening up that space is, is necessary for prayer. And that's how prayer happens when there's a meeting place between you and the Lord. And all you guys have wallets as well. So do that as well, whether you get a Starbucks card or not. Okay. So do that. Go to Starbucks. Doesn't you, there's nothing magical about Starbucks. It's just everywhere, right? That's why I got Starbucks cards. But, um, yes, meet with the Lord, whatever it takes, just turn off your phone just for an hour. It's not going to kill you not going to kill you to be unreachable for an hour. Turn off your phone, go somewhere where you know you're not going to be bothered and just meet with him and tell him, take your time. I'm not going anywhere. I just want to meet with you. I want to speak with you. I want to hear what's on your heart. And that's how prayer begins. And lastly, oh, did I click it too fast? Yeah. Lastly, intercessory prayer creates a meeting place for someone. So it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for someone else. It's for someone else. It's like having all the resources of heaven at your disposal and yet being so afraid and so stingy that you are are hoarding it. You don't want to release it anywhere. You don't want to invite God into your workplace. You don't want to invite God into your family. Like there... There is a need out there and you have the resources to address it. And yet you choose to keep it to yourself. That's what it means to not pray. It's an accessory prayer. It creates a meeting place for someone else. This is what I mean by that. So if I I were to, um, okay, I'm going to hold Emily's hand and I'm going to be like, Hey, Emily, I need you to meet with somebody. 
And then I'm going to drag her uh, over to uh, Lindsay. And, and I'm going to be like, hey, Lindsay, this is Emily. And um, I wanted to talk to you about her. And I know there's something that you have that actually she needs. And I would love it if you guys would meet as well. If you could intervene in her life, if you could interrupt her life as well. Because there's something that you carry that, <laughs> that she needs. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. It's the same thing when it comes to God. You're taking someone's hand. And if you're like, okay, today I'm going to pray for Sharon and I'm going to hold her hand and I'm going to take her towards God. I'm going to be like, God, I, I want to lift up Sharon. I know that there's some things in her life, Lord God, that require your intervention. And I would love to see that breaking into her life. God, would you breathe afresh? God, would you open doors? God, would you release resources? That's what's happening. I'm creating a meeting place between her and God. I am mediating. I am interceding that's what interceding means and so because i i embarrassed you this is another gift card but it has double because you have to treat someone creating a meeting place create yes see so now you have to invite someone you can't use the lord is watching you can't use it all on you okay the point is, I want you to meet with someone. I want you to have a genuine conversation. And so for that, I want to facilitate a meeting place. I have no more Starbucks cards, so all of you guys are like, what about me? Anyway, sit in the front. That's what it means. Okay, sit in the front. <laughs> um, but yes, so intercession, um, it is a gift. And we have to call it that. It is a gift. We cannot treat it like a burden. We cannot treat it like, ah. Oh, Fine, I'll pray. It is an open door. It's an invitation. Imagine we didn't have prayer available to us. What are what would our relationship with God look like? We're just hoping for the best then, right? We don't have a platform to say, God, this is actually on my heart. This is what I would like to see in my life. This is what I know that they need. God, could you intervene? If there was no platform to have that conversation, that would be a life without prayer. And although we have it available to us, sometimes functionally, our lives are prayerless functionally as if we didn't have that platform as if the finished work on the cross didn't give us full access to the throne of grace and so i don't want to guilt you into praying i want to invite you into prayer i want to invite you it's a, it's an open invitation for you to meet with someone not talk at somebody meet with someone someone who has all resources at his disposal someone who is for you and not against you you're not working against him, by the way. You're not twisting his arm to give you something that you feel he doesn't want to give. No, he's a good father who has all riches in glory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He has everything at his disposal. He wants to meet you. He wants to intervene in your life. He wants to break out in your life. And yet, if we never ask, if we never knock, if we never seek, we will never know how God can move in our lives.